Amen. Thank you, Brother Allen. K through third grade, you guys are dismissed to Children's Church. Lincoln, even if you want to go and not listen to Daddy, you're welcome to go. Well, it's an honor um, this morning, and I'm super humbled to be here with you. Thankful for my family being here, my mother-in-law and father-in-law, Joe, my sons, Coop, Eli, and Lincoln, my beautiful bride, who served here for almost 10 years. Many of you guys served in mentored and loved and taught our family all along the way. And you continue to do that. Pretty cool. And my mom and my dad, Ralph and Wanda, you'll, you'll notice I'm about this much taller than my dad. Um, I always joke that when I got a certain age and we went to parks, I would let him jump up on my shoulder so that he could see above the crowd. I don't know if he liked that a lot, but what I do know is that what the Lord brought my mother and father through when they lost a son to a drunk driver many, many years ago, and what the Lord taught my mom as a prayer warrior, and what he taught my dad as a father is a beautiful picture of why I get to stand here before you today. Because of the way that through some really hard and devastating and horrible times, God our Father was with them. And they sang that song, that praise all the day long. And because of their faithfulness, and more importantly, God's faithfulness to them, I was able to see a father who loved the Lord. And a mother who has prayed for probably a lot of people in this church. And a lot of you have prayed for her over the last few years as she's gone through some really difficult times and prayed for us. So thankful for Northwest because Northwest is, um, if I go back, it echoes really bad, so I'm going to try to stay up high. Um, Northwest has been such an amazing place for our family to grow and be loved. Um, your grace. I remember sitting with Brother Jerry quite a few years ago and him taking me and another gentleman through 101. Just the way that he loved me through that process. The way that Chris has loved my sons. Um, the way that many of you women in this church have wrapped around my wife despite me <laughs> at times probably. And uh, so there's so many things that I wanted to brag on God for doing through Northwest here recently. And that is, man, the, the women's ministry and what it's doing and how it's taking off. And the men's ministry recently going on trips and having breakfast together, you know, breaking bread together um, again. And then just the growth in our youth and in our children and so thankful for Chris and Hope, and I just want to tell you, as a as a member of Northwest, not a normal guy that gets up here and and uh, 
breaks open God's word um, in fear and trembling, by the way. But not a normal guy who does this every single week. This is a great family that loves the Lord. And um, because we love the Lord and we know how much that the Lord loves us and how gracious he has been to us, we have learned to love one another, even though we are very different people. We are very broken people. But God, uh, he mends the broken, doesn't he? Amen. So I'm thankful. Um, we're, we're going to be in the book of John today, chapter 10. Uh, we're not going to read it quite quite uh, right this moment, but I wanted to just say, give you a little bit of context. So what we have here is we have Jesus has just physically healed a blind man in chapter 9. And I love it. And, and there's a song and, and Jesus or the blind man is taken before you know, the Pharisees, and he's giving, he's bearing witness to, you know, what Jesus has just done, and, and the Pharisees don't believe him, and so they go and they even ask his parents, because they're like, man, this guy's crazy, he's lying. Um, there's this Jesus, and, and we want to nail him for uh, blasphemy and heresy, and, and uh, um, so they bring the parents of the blind man, and they're like, listen, he was born blind, and all we all we know now that we can tell you is that he can see. He's been he's been healed some way somehow, and so they bring the blind man again, and and the blind man stands before them, and they're like, "How did this happen?" And and he says, "All I know is I was blind, but now I can see." And so the context of what's going on is we have Jesus. The um, the known Messiah all the way back from Ezekiel chapter 34, where Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel says, Jesus will come, the Messiah will come and he will come as a shepherd. And so we have this friction going on in the current town and, and we have the Pharisees, those who decided themselves that they would be the leaders of the people, that they were the pastors of people. And then we have the Messiah and they are being, they are, they are, there is all this friction that's going on between these two groups, the followers of the Pharisees and the followers of Jesus. And so they were trying to catch Jesus. They were trying to break down the Messiah. And so Jesus begins in chapter 10 by talking about what Brother Rob shared with us a few weeks ago. And he shared with us that Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Well, the people just didn't get it. I mean, that's kind of what's going on here as we get into chapter 10 and as we get into verse 6. He starts off and Jesus is saying, I'm the good shepherd, right? And he says, the gatekeeper opens the gate for them. The sheep hear his voice and they come into him. And he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And after he's gathered to his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they recognize his voice and they won't follow a stranger. They will run away from him because they don't recognize his voice. And then Jesus is speaking this and the people are, they're lost. They, they don't get it. They don't understand. And so Jesus comes back with an additional parable. And he says in verse six, if we want to throw that up, those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. Again, when he was speaking about 
the good shepherd. So he explained it to them this way. He said, I assure you, I am the gate for the sheep. All others who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. Wherever they go, they will find green pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. But yet my purpose is to give life in all of its fullness. Let's pray. Lord, we just um, come to you this morning. We ask that you just speak truth. That the truth of your word and only your word, God, would come before us. That we would have ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts ready to receive. God, you are an amazing God. You have loved us despite us from Adam to today and beyond. And you've provided us an amazing way to spend eternity with you through the Son of Jesus Christ because of what he's done on the cross for everyone in this room and everyone in this community, for everyone in this state and for everyone in this country and for everyone in this land, Father. I pray that you will begin here this morning in each one of us, Lord, that you would begin a fire in us that recognizes your amazing, amazing grace and the amazing gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, allow us at this time just to open your word and learn from you, God, only. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I'm so thankful our Lord and Savior Jesus is not only the gate and the gatekeeper that's recognized here. I started thinking about gates this week. And the first thing that I just felt like the Lord gave to my mind was the game of Red Rover. Everybody remember the game Red Rover? Okay, so I've got some great Red Rover stories. Um, in my school in Bethel Acres, Oklahoma, we were, we were little country kids and um, probably just like little city kids when you're a certain age, all of the guys um, hang out together and all of the girls hang out together. And they don't really mingle up, up until about fifth and sixth grade. And before that, sometimes they'll mingle, but only when they're chasing one another. And then in fifth and sixth grade, they start even having conversations beyond uh, and and then in seventh and eighth grade, they'll actually even set by one another and then on and then it progresses. And then one day you meet your Danielle and your life has changed forever, right? But we played Red Rover and we played Red Rover in first, second, you know, I think it didn't get, it wasn't cool anymore in third and fourth grade, but first and second grade, it was really cool. And it was guys versus girls. And so us as guys, being the evil creatures that we are, we would pick on girls who we would never tell anyone that we thought were really cute, right? The cute girls. And we would always say, Red Rover, Red Rover, send that cute girl on over, right? And in our minds. But we were vicious and we were mean. And there were times that we would hold on to each other so tightly that, that sweet little girl would come over with all of her might. 
And she would hit that gate and, and we might take her head off. It was awful. And we would kind of laugh about it. It was, a, it, it was an improper gate. The, 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 the method and the mindset behind the gate was all messed up, right? And I, and I thought about gates that I've stood in line for over my life. And some, I waited a long time to get through this passage and through this gate. And, and just before I was able to get to the beginning of that, or the, to get on the other side of that gate, oh, we're all closed down here. Sorry, no more tickets. And just the devastation and the heartache. Um, and I also know that in my life there were gates that I passed through that I never should have passed through. Was searching for something in this life, and I went through passages that in no way would honor the Lord. And maybe some of you have done the same thing. I thought about, uh, and I looked up and I kind of researched a little bit the beautiful and adorned. Um, how many of you have been to Florence, Italy? Right, raise your hand. Anyone been to Florence, Italy? Can I come hang out with you? I would love. That's that's an incredible trip. Florence, Italy. In Florence, Italy, you find the Florence Baptistry. And in there, you see the south doors or gates, the north doors, and the east doors. And the south doors are adorned with the life of John the Baptist. Right? The whole life of John the Baptist. This is uh, the Florence Baptistry was, was built in uh, 1059 to 1128 been around a while, about a thousand years. So the south doors are adorned with the life of John the Baptist. And I looked at them throughout this week. They are, they are unreal. They are beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous. This gate, this door, this door that, that highlights the life of John the Baptist, the one who, who baptized Jesus. Beautiful bronze took year 29 years to make these doors. And then on the north doors, you have, you have a door covered with uh, panels. And these panels are of the life of Jesus as well as the four gospels. Okay. And so these are the most ornate, most beautiful beautiful doors that you can ever imagine. And I love coming here every single Sunday and looking through the stained glass window and thinking how beautiful. And sometimes when I sit in the same place that I always say, I'm not going to sit again. And the light shines in at the wrong time during the service and gets in my eyes. But I look, and I think, and I go, how beautiful is this? And as beautiful as these windows are, they don't even compare to these gates. They don't even compare to the beauty of these doors. And then you have the east doors. So beautiful, so beautiful are these doors that Michelangelo called these the gates of paradise. He said he believed that these would be the gates. They were so beautiful that they could be the gates used to enter into the kingdom of God. Michelangelo himself, and they're adorned with the most well-known Old Testament stories 
that we've read and learned and heard about throughout our lives. And as beautiful as these windows and as beautiful as these gates, these doors that we find in Italy, none of these compare to the gate of Jesus. Not even close. So as I said in Ezekiel 34, chapter or chapter 34, verse 23, the prophet Ezekiel predicts the coming Messiah and he called him a shepherd. And at night, what the shepherd would do is he would gather the sheepfold. And as he would gather the sheepfold into that pen, he would serve as this gate. He would serve as the door. He would sleep with and amongst those sheep to protect his sheep. And so we see Jesus when the Pharisees and those listening who did not understand and see and recognize what he was trying to tell them. We see Jesus say again in verse 7, I assure you, I am the gate for the sheep. All others who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. So point one, this is where you get to write in your notes. Jesus is the gate to God's salvation. Amen? Since Genesis chapter 3, we see where Adam and Eve were deceived and sinned in the garden, and God sheds the blood of the first animal of his creation. But what Jesus is doing here is Jesus is separating himself. He is setting himself apart from the shepherd. He's saying, I'm the good shepherd. Okay, there's a difference here. He's saying that the thief and the robber, this is how they try to enter. This is where they want to come in to kill and to steal and to destroy. But Jesus says, I am the gate to God's salvation. And if you enter by this door, then you shall be saved. So Jesus makes himself to be both the door by which the shepherd enters and the shepherd that enters by the door. He is the passageway. And he's different from the shepherd who is the hired hand, right? The shepherd who is the hired hand sees the enemy coming and approaching willing to attack. He sees, the, he sees the lion or he sees the bear and he's coming for the sheep and that hired hand flees. But Jesus is saying, not only am I the good shepherd, but I am the gate. And we will see as he goes on that he's the gate that is much, much more critical than the normal hired hand because these sheep are his own and he will lay down his life for sheep when others will run. Jesus has life in himself and by his own blood he is the door into the presence of our holy God. And Jesus here is the gate shut to keep out the thieves and the robber and the robbers, but Jesus here is the gate open for the passage 
to eternal life in heaven. John 14, 6, Jesus told Thomas, said, Thomas, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. Matthew 25, verse 34, we see Jesus talking about the final judgment. Jesus says, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. This is that shepherd. This is that gate. This is what he does. Jesus is the gate. Look at me. Jesus is the gate. How how many times have we forever worn ourselves out looking for the door to life in all the places where life simply doesn't exist? Think over your life. Think over the lives in your family. Think over that coworker for just a moment and recognize how humanity in its sinful nature runs repeatedly back to its vomit, to the gates that provide no life. Our coworkers and our family and our community and our brothers and sisters even right here in this room, they need to hear the gospel of Jesus. They need to see the gospel of Jesus in my life and in yours. Life will not be found. Life will not be found. Eternal life will not be found outside of Jesus Christ. Amen? We've got to come to a place where we understand the significance of this so that we would be willing to even lay down our own lives for others so that they may know Christ. Paul said, I consider my life nothing in relation to those followers who may come to know Christ. My life's not important. David, David gave his life. But as a shepherd, what did he do? He killed the bear and the lion. But he was no substitute for mankind like Jesus. This Jesus we have to know. This Jesus we have to understand. So how do we do that? Let's go on to point two. Jesus is not only the gate to God's salvation, but Jesus is the only way to gain access to God's kingdom. He's the only way. This is critical and this is important. Romans 3.10 says, no one is good, not even one. Do you agree with that? It's God's word. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. Romans 5.12 says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the human race. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone. For everyone sinned. And of course, Romans 6.23, 
for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In our text, we see in verse 9 that if anyone enter through Jesus as the door, in chapter 10, verse 9 of John, that if anyone through enter through Jesus as the door, they shall be saved. So as we run this race, this life, as we, as we are running, is it not true that we encounter people all day, every day, looking for meaning? I know I do. Is it not true in our own families we have family members that are hurting and seeking and searching? Is it not true in our own community right here around us? We have broken fellowship and broken relationships and, and broken marriages and addictions. And, and we find humanity in this place because whether or not they have a personal relationship today with Jesus they know there's something within them. We are created in God's image. They know there's something within them that says, man, there's got to be more to life than this. How do they understand that it's even right and wrong without God's creation of his likeness in them? And they recognize right and wrong and they want to do right, but they can never be right enough. And so they keep searching and they're looking in this community. They're looking right here around 23rd Street. Today, last night, for generations, they've been searching, coming up to a gate, passing through and finding more death. But you and I, if we know Christ, we have this hope within us. And it's time we share it. It's time we communicate it with the way that we speak, with the way that we act, even better with the way that we react. We must come in by Jesus Christ as the door, by faith in him. Jesus Christ is the mediator between man and God. Worthy, worthy is the lamb who was slain for us. Acts 14, 27 teaches us about the door of faith. And, and here in Acts, we see that this is not just for the Jew, but this Jesus, this Messiah, he is not only chosen, he's not only for the chosen remnant, he is for the Gentile, he is for the whole world. He's for everyone, he's for Alan, he's for me. Thank you, God, for saving me. In the middle of a road, in between Bethel Acres and Shawnee, at the age of 19, thank you, God, for not giving up on me and saving me. Where did God save you? Where did you believe and receive this message of Jesus Christ as the gate? And did it affect and did it change your life so? Is the hope that you have in you, 
because of Jesus Christ, is it known? When we do this, when we enter through this gate, this door of faith, when we do this, we come into a covenant and we come into a communion with God. This is beautiful. Not because anything in us or anything that we have done, but only and solely by the blood of Jesus. And this covenant and this community, guys, this community looks a lot like this. That's why it's so critical. We are his sheepfold. And Jesus has laid down his life for us. But there's room for more sheep. And listen, I don't, be, I, I don't mind I don't falter. I don't stumble over understanding that I'm a sheep. Man, I know how many times I've wandered off. I've recognized that. How about you? But God hasn't wandered away from you. And what is the sheep? What is he? He's poured out. He's poured out for his owner. He shaved annually so that the owner can be clothed and warm. He's butchered and he's killed to be eaten. Heck, he's even used as a lawnmower. How many of you guys need a lawnmower? Just checking to see if you're awake. Those hearts, excuse me, that is the design of the shepherd. The design of the shepherd It's our conversation, guys, of grace in the world that we speak the grace of Christ. We are a life supported. We are a life nourished. We are a life encouraged, both in public and in private settings through the word of God and through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. The design of the thief is very different. He comes to steal hearts. He comes to destroy spiritually the souls of mankind. And the hearts that he cannot steal that already belong to God, what does he do? He does everything that he can to kill your joy, to kill my joy, right? He does everything that he can. What does he have us doing? He has us fighting over carpet colors. What does he do? That's what he does. He has us fighting over non-essential Non, non, non-real, non-problematic things that have nothing to do with man's soul, right? This hope that we have in us, and I have no idea if we're arguing over carpet. I, I like the carpet. But this, the, these places that the community of, of God, the, the church gets at times, I, I know that God weeps, <laughs> I know that he hurts. He wants us focused in on those that are lost. That's what Jesus, that was the purpose of Jesus. That's why he was the gate. Number three, Jesus willingly laid down his life for us. Jesus Jesus laid down his life for us, guys, willingly. This is Jesus declaring his purpose once again as it was declared Um, by the prophets, and as it was declared by himself. He said, I am the Son of God, and he said, I have come to give life. Over and over and over. The Pharisees didn't like it because the Pharisees didn't commission this guy. 
But God commissioned this guy. This was God's son. So in verse 10, Jesus says, my purpose is to give life in all of its fullness. All right? So Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the only way to eternal life. And Jesus willingly, he willingly surrendered all and laid down his life for you and for me. Unlike that hired hand, who, because he would profit nothing, because they weren't his sheep, whether he lost them or not, he did not sacrifice himself. And it brings us to the place where we have to recognize believers and non-believers. Are we motivated by the wealth of this world? Or are we motivated by the gospel for the souls of man? What are our motivations? Every pastor, every leader in our church, every leader in every church in this city, it's time that we ask the question, are we in the business of being our brother's Lord or are we in the business of being our brother's keeper? Jesus kept us once and for all. He laid down his life for you and for me to give life more abundant to the fullest. Now, this is where over the past couple, you know, past 20 years, we've had uh, so, some branch abundance Ians that have struck out on their own. That God is going to give us all of this extra money and I'm going to have super shiny shoes and I'm going to have the sweetest ride and, and, um, and I'm going to have a big, huge house and everyone is going to know my name. This abundant life is you and I now belong to God through Christ. And so we do not have to fear death anymore. We do not have to fear an eternal death. Do you ever just sit around and think about that? I, I, I mean, there are, there are weeks and months that have gone through in my life where I have not focused on the fact that I don't, I don't, I don't have to worry about death like the rest of the world that doesn't have Jesus. I need to do that. I need to have that daily time. And within that daily time, I need to go back to the beginning in my daily quiet time. And I need to be thankful for what Christ has done. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. It's kind of hard for us to list out all the things that are wrong in this world if we spend the majority of our time counting the blessings that God has given us. My mom has been a good teacher for me in that area. She's been through a lot, and I see her constantly counting her blessings. Life. Jesus laid down his life. He laid down his life to me as if I am a criminal pardoned. He laid down his life to the sick, to that sick man that he cured. He laid down his life to the dead that he raised. Jesus laid down his life to give us a life that was justified, sanctified, and glorified only by him. A life much more abundant than the life that I forfeited 
that was full of sin and lostness. And he was perfect, guys. He willingly laid down his perfect life for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Amen? So here we are again on another Sunday in a beautiful place with the community of Northwest 23rd all around us. I've told you already the amazing importance that this group of people has made in my family's life. What a wonderful place that it is. The way that you have loved us. The way that you have been there through the death of a grandparent. The way that we have been able to cry together through broken things. With you. For you. The way that throughout this entire week, men and women texting me saying, hey, a little birdie told me that you were praying or you were preaching this Sunday. So we're praying for you. And hopefully you got one of those back that said, man, I really need it more than most. Jesus is the only way, guys. He's the only truth and the only life. And he knows his sheep by name. He has known me at my worst and he has known me in my sickest moments. And yet he willingly laid down his life for me. He has known you at your worst and he has known you in your sickest moments. And he knew before time that you would go through these things, but yet he still willingly laid down the perfect life, the one that knew no sin to be sin for us. Jesus knows his sheep. You know what else? The Bible tells us that he knows his goats too. And despite anyone's best efforts to disguise the fact that you're still a goat. God knows who you are. And he knows that he not only loved those who he liked, but he also loved his enemies to the point that he would still lay down the life of his perfect son, the one who knew no sin. So we got a lot of sheep and goats. And I prayed all week that this morning would be the morning that you would allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you privately and to communicate to you which one you are. And know this, that it's not too late. So uh, John 1.12 is going to be the last verse that I show you guys this this morning as I close. John 1.12 says this. 
but to all who believed him and accepted him, the goats and the sheep. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Is that not an amazing God? Do you believe and receive this free gift of Jesus? This morning, I'm asking you, would you surrender all to the Jesus who voluntarily surrendered all for you? Do you believe and accept this free gift of love and grace from God that Jesus is the Savior? He is the way, the only way. He is the only truth and he is the only life. Because guys, just like the good shepherd and the gate, Jesus is also the offer and the offering. Spilled out for you and for me and for your wayward brother or your wayward sister and for your broken family and your broken marriages and your addicted uncle and your cursing aunt. He's the offering. I've been thankful to be a part of this church. Through Jesus, I've seen God rescue so many families, so many marriages, so many careers. Through Jesus, I've seen God restore sight to those that were spiritually blind. I've seen him mend broken bones and broken hearts and broken relationships. And you may be here this morning and you know that people in your life, maybe even you yourself, that you've given up on yourself a hundred times, a thousand times. People who know you, oh, not that guy. Not that old man. Everyone around you, including yourself, have given up on you because you've repeatedly tried to go through the wrong gates. Return to your vomit. God's never given up on you. That's why he gave you his son, Jesus. The perfect sacrifice and the perfect substitute to cure the sin of all mankind. But you've got to respond. You have to believe and receive this free gift of grace in Jesus. So I'm going to walk down front and Brother Kyle is going to play. We call this an invitation. During the invitation time, Brother Rob, other pastors here, we're going to be down front. What I love about Northwest is Northwest is a place where we get to confess and when we confess and needs confessing. You'll find that out about us if you're new here. We get to praising 
when it's time we, we need to be praising. That's what families do. We love and we encourage and we hold each other accountable. But it's all for naught without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ.